Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jared Walker, owner of Flint Ridge Rifles, and we talk custom rifle builds. I actually forgot yep. to even give you my my first name and everything like that. I just realized that I'm like, my guy is Ty. Like he has no idea who Ty is. <laughs> I, I I ended up uh, totally creeping you, so I I checked everything on the uh, link, you know, on um, Instagram and all that. So I figured it was either Ty or Tyrell. So I didn't know which way. <laughs> yeah, either either one really works. Most people just go with Ty because Ty, a lot of Ty works. Just have an easier time with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as soon as I did, I'm like, wait a minute. But I'm glad you did your research there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for taking time out of your morning to come on your show. Um, yeah. You know, really, what really made me want to reach out to you because I actually took part of the BHA um, pint night that you basically talked about yourself and your company. And, you know, it was basically kind of one of those things where, you know, I first you know, kind of heard about you. I'm like, you know what? That's some, That's a guy I need to kind of keep in mind even for my own personal reasons of wanting to, you know, essentially one day, you know, kind of get my own rifle and whatnot, kind of, you know, working with hand-me-down and whatnot. So I was like, man, you know, I need to keep this guy in mind for, you know, if or when I ever decide I want to, you know, kind of get my own rifle, you know, suited, built and suited for me. Yeah. And then, you know, with rifle season coming up, you know, before we know it, you know, thinking about like, all right, it's got time to get the rifle out and, you know, make sure it's all sighted in, make sure, especially now with, you know, everything going on, make sure I got plenty of ammunition ready to go and right. everything like that. So I was like, you know what? I think Jared would be a good guy to reach out to, to, you know, first, I guess, mainly talk about, you know, kind of what you do and whatnot. If someone was looking for, um, you know, a rifle for the future and then talk about, you know, reaching out, especially because I figured with you working on, you know, these custom rifles and, you know, really honing in on the precision of these rifles that, you know, you could expand on you know, other things that things that people should be thinking about when it comes to the, you know, if they want to get a custom rifle built or even this or, you know, their current rifle setups uh, to make them a little bit better, you know, marksmen and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, we can, you know, look at it a bunch of different ways, right? Because, I mean, obviously, we're down the piece of the the custom end, which is obviously it's the higher end piece. There's more costs involved, right, or whatnot. But there's a lot that you can do to your your factory setups to make them a lot more accurate. And you're right. I mentioned a couple of those things. You know, whenever I did that, did the BHA piece. But yeah, so we can we can hop in however you want to do it. Yeah. Well, first off, I guess let's because I you know I've already listened to you talk about your yourself and the company and whatnot. Um, but for my listeners and whatnot, I guess go ahead and kind of introduce yourself, kind of what your background and uh, go ahead and start into, um, you know, talking about uh, Flit Ridge Rifles. Yeah, so um, my name's Jared Walker, um, owner of Flint Ridge Rifles. Um, I, li- I live in Howell, Michigan. Um, I'm, I'm originally, I'm born and raised, actually, from Arkansas. I grew up in the Ozark Mountains, and um, that's where I cut my teeth, you know, learning how to hunt and do all that. Um I, I mean, I've been a, you know, an avid outdoorsman my entire life. I mean, heck, I, I took my first deer when I was seven years old, <laughs> and I mean, and the bug bit me, you know, ever since then. Um, lived there till oh gosh, I was in probably my early mid thirties, and then um, 
with work and whatnot, we moved to um, north of Atlanta for a while, spent almost a year and a half, two years um, in, in north of Atlanta. And there I got to experience you know, a lot of hunting up in the Appalachians, uh, North Georgia and pieces like that. And then back in 2016, we moved, uh, we moved here to Michigan um, and we actually live in my wife's hometown. So um, the, to get into the Flint Ridge side of it, um, actually the Flint Ridge name comes from where I grew up in uh, Mountain Home, Arkansas. Um, I grew up on Flint Ridge. Um, so uh, my, it's my, if you think about this, it's a family operation. Um, it's my dad and I that, you know, work this. Um, he is the, the man behind the scenes doing the building and, and whatnot as far as like chamber you know, chambering the rifles, do, cutting all the stuff. He's the one, you know, that's doing a lot of the, the hard labor behind the scenes. And then when you get into the, once we get a rifle that's built, put together, um, that's where I pick up in the operation and I'm doing the, the opt, you know, mounting the optics, um, building the hand loads and getting everything tuned for uh, and then uh, ready to ship out and get it all out to the customers. Um, I do all the, the um, you know, when we're talking to folks like on the side of like the sales piece of whatnot and what to get into as far as like, you know, the one-on-one of here's what my target animals are, my species, how I'm going to hunt, where I'm going to hunt, what are, you know, what I'm looking for. Those are the conversations that I usually have with folks. And then we, you know, find you know, I, you know, ask about a budget and whatnot, and then try to put together a package that's going to, um, you know, that fits folks and, you know, and go from there. Yeah. I, I do remember when you talked with the, with the BHA that, you know, that's a really important step of, you know, basically figuring out what an individual is really wanting to do with that rifle, you know, what type of hunting they're going to do, you know, basically kind of what they're expecting be their bulk of, how they use that rifle uh, to be our suit to build it for them, you know, not building yeah. a rifle that doesn't have what they need on it or something that's on it that they don't really need. Well, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, we, so in our lineup, we've got three, you know, three, if you were to go to the site and look at everything. Um, so we've got three models that we basically have got set up. One being um, the ascent. Um, the ascent is going to be our lightest weight, package that we put together right so if you think about this one this could be somebody for all the way from a sheep goat type hunter or just a lightweight um backpack hunter who wants something that is just lightweight portable you know easy to carry right um you know we've got one that you know we're gonna be working on finishing up and i mean you're getting around like you know five and three quarter to six pounds or something like that. The, those actions have been, um, it's built off, um, like I, I think I mentioned the other one, defiance machine OEMs are actions for us. So it's built off the anti-action. So you take something like that where a normal action is going to weigh about 32 ounces. That action is going to come in around 20 to 22 ounces, depending on short action, long action. Um, so that alone, I mean, that's shaving a ton of weight off. Um, and then from that too, on the ascent, that's more of a traditional, um, if folks were to think about a grip, you know, in the style of the, um, the stock, however, it's gonna have a little bit more vertical in the grip than your standard. 
and um, and the comb as well. So if you look at the way the comb is combed back versus being a straight comb on your like your traditional woodstocks that you think about or everyone's probably grown up with, there's a little bit of a drop on that as well, and that aids in the fact of like as it recoils. Um, it, it, the way it comes back, it tends to come back a little bit more straight. Um, then you jump into our um, the Ridge Runner. The Ridge Runner is built off of the um, the tenacity action, and um, on that one we we choose we have two stocks that we use. We use a um, a Mesa Precision Altitude stock, or we use the Manners um, a Manners NCS. T. So basically very similar in the um, the more of a vertical grip. It also has a higher um, the cheat on the comb of the stock as well. Goes up a little bit higher, more of like what you would think of as a, not quite a Monte Carlo, but a more of a raised cheek piece that helps you get a little bit more in line with a little bit bigger bells as far as um, optics and whatnot. That I feel is like, if you think about the Ridge Runner, is a very good crossover the fact that it can still get you pretty lightweight um relatively lightweight but then still have the ability to where if you wanted to shoot prone and take long shots you, it's it's very capable and the fact like i mean that's my that's kind of my go-to right is that um as far as like the ridge runners where i would and and we probably had do more ridge runners honestly than than anything else and then you jump into our um, the bomber. The bomber is, I mean, hence the name, right? It's a it's it's your long range tactical hunter type setup, um, based off of the um, the ruckus action. It's going to be beefy action. It's going to have an integrated re um, Picatinny rail with 20 minutes of angle built into it. Um, stock wise, you're looking at the um, Manners EH1 or the AG Composites Alpine Hunter. Um, both those stocks are going to have um, a pretty vertical grip and then a um, they're going to be set up for you know really prone type shooting and that's where I would consider like Cross Canyon or whatnot. It can still get fairly light depending on how you how you set it up if with the right carbon fiber set up on the stocks, carbon fiber barrels like you, you can get it to a decently uh, light one. I mean, we've had them down to like seven pounds, you know, like in a setup like that on a, on a big Magnum. Um, and I think I mentioned that before, like the podcast or the thing that you, you know, you tuned into was everything comes at a sacrifice, right? When you, when you start going super lightweight, your um, the piece that you have to give up sometimes is um, felt recoil. Right. And that's the hard piece when people start chasing super uber light you you end up having to get to a, a you get to a break that come sometimes gets pretty aggressive or you know it's it can it can be kind of a pain to shoot right it's may not be fun but in the moment you're probably not going to notice it um but it's not something that you're going to want to sit there at the range and just go boom 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 over and over with right so just just some things to think about when you're putting together you know putting together a setup like you want something that you know what's the right blend and think about like what your intended purpose is um are you gonna do you want a dedicated elk rig or do you want something that you're gonna hunt whitetails with all the time and maybe go out west once every few years so things to think about right from um from a setup standpoint gotcha 
you know, I've never gone out west for any type of hunts or anything like that. So is the drive for a lighter rifle just for ease of being able to carry it around and maneuver it, you know, while you're, you know, out hiking and, you know, putting in the miles, doing that type of, doing those types of hunts? Typically, yes. But I can tell you, too, that um, you think about you know i mentioned like a sheep hunter type person right like you're they're ones that are you know in the past that have been cutting the handles off their toothbrushes ripping all the tags off because all those ounces equal pounds right so that's where somebody wants something like super light it like i mentioned earlier it comes at a balance between if you go too light right let's say you got like a five five and a half pound rifle and then you're let's say you have to run over a ridge and or something like that or like some elk or deer something's coming through and you got to hump up to the top and then you got to quickly lay down and make a shot when it's really light it it's very it's harder to steady and what you notice is your breath in the scope you'll notice it in your reticle right whereas if you go a little heavier that those rifles are so much easier to um to steady right so like i've got two setups right one of them weighs like a full pound lighter than the other one and they're both magnums but that gun that is like that weighs with bipod and everything like i think you're right you know scope and all bipod at 11 pounds man that that thing is super steady to you know to handle whereas the other one i can still do it you know like the 10 pound setup it's fine but you notice just a little bit more um that's where the forgiveness comes from but a lot of folks you think through the years i mean well I'm, i use remington 700 as an example right because most guns through the years probably weighed around seven pounds right and then you're going to put an optic on there a lot of folks are used to carrying re- realistically close to you know eight eight and a half nine nine and a half pound rifles that a lot of folks are used to that so when you start hanging uh, bipods on there you're doing all this other stuff you can easily get, you know, an 11, 12 ton gun once you start putting stuff on it uh, or like a super heavy scope, right? Like, you know, out West too, you see some, you know, like if somebody's running like a night force scope or some of these other big tactical scopes, those scopes themselves can weigh, you know, over, you know, up, up to almost, you know, two pounds, two and a half, you know, depending on the optic, you know, you can get a two pound optic out of the whole thing. Gotcha. So, um, so when you're piecing out, you know, the type of, you know, which essentially which model someone wants, you know, what does that conversation usually, you know, how does that kind of play out? You know, what do you usually see where, you know, people have their big concerns with or, you know, what features are the people usually looking for when you yep. first talk, start talking to them? Right. So, like I said, talk, talk the budget side of it, right? Kind of get, get what their budget is. I mean, you'll look at our rifles and, most of the ones, if you go to our site, are quoted based off of like, you know, carbon fiber barrels with, you know, carbon fiber stocks, right? And then if you start looking at that, like, you know, we're, we're like 3,800 bucks, right? I mean, we do a lot, I'll be honest, like we do a lot of like 5000 to $5,500 package type deals with optics. That, that's really where we probably do the most is in that range. But the conversation had would be, what are your um what do you think you're going to hunt right primarily is it are you a whitetail are you looking for a mule deer are you looking for elk moose something like that right and in that 
what could go down the list of calibers, right? If you want a dedicated just whitetail rig, then prop and for something around here, then most likely I'm going to probably do some form of a short action, honestly. Um, but, you know, it's easy to carry through the woods, doesn't have a, a super long uh, barrel or whatnot that's, uh, that's easy to handle. If somebody is looking to go out and say, do more of the mule deer or elk type setup, that's where you'll look into um, caliber wise, where like you start hearing more of the tradition, like the seven mags, 300 wind mags, um, 6.5 PRC, 6.8 Western, some of the new ones, and really kind of like build around what that looks like. I also too ask if somebody intends on um, hand loading or not, right? Because if they, if you really want to get the most out of these custom rifles, it almost behooves you to hand load just for the fact of like everything's tuned, everything is like set up for that. And you can get the utmost accuracy out of that. But that being said too, there are a lot, factory ammunition is so much better than what it was years ago that if you could take a box of sometimes Hornady Precision Hunter or Match Ammo or Burger or, you know, Sierra, there's a Sierra, some of the others, and get really good, you know, up, you know, around like half minute accuracy, you know, sometimes better with factory loads, which is pretty incredible, to, you know, and something like that. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, certainly. I guess my biggest thing is like, I always think about, you know, why would someone, you know, want to pursue, you know, getting a custom rifle made. I'm assuming that the big, you know, kind of what, what I would think would be the big reasons would be is that for one, you get a rifle that's kind of built suited, you know, for your purposes. And I'm assuming that one of the biggest things that you can, you know, gain from a custom rifle outside of, you know, running down to the sporting goods store and grabbing it off the shelf is that you can have a lot better accuracy with those rifles because they're not being, you know, mass produced you know, making sure that those tolerances and everything's much better um, than something you would find off the shelf. Am, am I accurate in kind of thinking thinking that way? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to figure that, like, it's not it's not hard to, like, once you just start get, looking at components, right, just because the components that we put into each of the pieces are a lot more expensive, right, than what you're getting off the um, off the shelf. I mean you look at like trig, you know, triggers that can be anywhere from 150 to $300 for a trigger, the bottom metals being, you know, a couple hundred bucks for the bottom metal. Uh, but those things are built, you know, they can, they're built like a tank, right? As far as like durability goes. And you're right in the fact that like, I talk about it, like it's, it's, this is your canvas paint it the way you want, right? Like you're not held back to, colors and just because like well that gun's only offered in a black stock with a stainless barrel or it's got a green stock with a black barrel no i mean this is this is your build i mean the colors of the stock um can be whatever color you want want it to be the um the metals can be cerakoted to whatever i mean it, it can fit and become like a piece of your personality you know that in your rifle and absolutely the accuracy piece is there like are we getting a lot better factory rifles these days absolutely um but think about this and like when you start getting into like ultralight hunting gear and other pieces like that right 
or the difference between down and synthetics and, and other pieces of gear. Um, you start paying exponentially more for like, you know, smaller step increases, right? There's a big difference in the six to $700 guns off the shelf to say like a 1500 to 2000 and then a jump, right? When you're making that 600, 700 jump to that, you know, 15, you know, 12, $1,500 range, there's a big step increase, right? No, but as you are start getting into the 2500 to 3000, like you're paying a lot, you know, you're paying more for smaller step increases. Does that make sense on like what you start getting? But yeah, you're, you start getting tighter and tighter. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not uncommon for me to shoot, you know, quarter inch, 0.3 inch, you know, three shot groups with Magnum rifles, right? And I've shot groups where like, a single ragged bullet hole, right? For three shot groups. So you start measuring those things and they're like, you know, I've shot eighth inch groups before, right? On and sitting down that, and what it does too is like, it's confidence, right? Because you know that once you got that thing put together and it's honed and you, you've done your due diligence to put it on the rain and put it through the test and, and shoot everything out. Like you hit the field with a different level of confidence right? Just because of what you got in your hands. Yeah, no. And, you know, I've, you know, especially, you know, talking about the rifle side of, you know, paying the extra dollar for that, you know, better accuracy, the more reliable, you know, parts and pieces that aren't going to, you know, break on you. You know, I focus a lot of it on, you know, archery, on the archery side as well and dealing with, you know, my bow and the type of strings and, you know, quality of arrows and, you know, those quality parts where, you know, spending those extra few dollars on, you know, good equipment that put onto your bow, you know, and making sure that everything's, you know, dialed in properly. That, again, like you said, adds that confidence. And by having those better pieces on the bow and making the bow perform better, then when I add in, you know, me as a shooter and I have my, you know, human errors and inaccuracies, you know, those aren't going to be expanded as well if I had a bow that wasn't shooting you know, the best they could as well. So oh, look, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when I look at it on the rifle side, I, you know, especially now with having, you know, gotten my bow stuff tiled in, I look at my rifle, like it's pretty good, but there are a lot of things that probably could be done with this to make it even more accurate to where, you know, my human error, you know, even if I do make an error, you know, I'm not looking through my scope just right, or I flinch or something like that, or something's not quite right. You know, that rifle isn't already going to be shooting worse um, even before I even pull the trigger. Well, yeah. And I, I, I take the same degree of, you know, <laughs> nitty gritty details in my bow setup, just like I do my rifle. Right. Yeah. And the same thing, like you just mentioned, like, I know, like when I first kind of got into my first bow, I got a long time ago. Right. Like I was in high school and, it was like an old PSE Polaris with not a whole, I mean, it was a heavy draw. And I mean, I shooting XX 75, like aluminum arrows, like it was not going fast. Right. And then I ended up getting like a mission bow and I started shooting it. And then I was like, all right, I shot it for about a year or so. And then I ended up like, I was shooting like 3d tournaments and doing that. And then I jumped up and I remember when I got my Matthews, and I went into a tournament and it was, 
unbelievable the difference right and <laughs> i ended up like winning that tournament and it was like you know my first time out with that bow and i was just like oh wow this is this is a big difference and i got that thing tuned and i mean and even said components right like my strings ended up wearing out a couple years ago i put new strings on i mean it's still a couple hundred bucks to get that whole thing you know all put together restrung, do all that but it was worth it because i can still i've got my pins set up all the way from 20 to 80 yards and i can still sit there you know however far out and then just like stack them on top of each other and that thing's a tack driver but the fundamentals even inside of archery i feel like carry over into rifle shooting you know as well so i mean if you think about the trigger control right steadying your target you know you're going to have a little bit in your in your um on your peep you know right and then you're going through your housing and then you're looking through keeping those pins on it's the same thing, I think, if you think and carry that over to a reticle, right? Controlling your breathing, having a rhythm that you go through each time, right? So, like, it's the same. I say the same thing to myself when I'm shooting a boat. Is the same thing I say to myself when I'm pulling the trigger on a rifle. And call it the four S. It's smooth, steady, subconscious, and squeaks, right? And so basically what I'm doing is, is I'm focusing on the target, I'm controlling my breath, and I'm slowly increasing the amount of pressure which my trigger finger is being applied until that thing goes off, right? So I feel like either way you can carry that thing over, whether it's bow or it's rifle, you know. And I feel like, too, if you take the same degree, I, I think it's like every shot you take, whether you're practicing in your backyard or you're at the range, Practice as if you were making that, you know, critical shot on a game. Like, I don't like taking just like, just boom, you know, like pop shots. I, I can't stand that. Practice, practice like you're going to play, right? And then if you do that, it's going to carry over to the field. And then we jumped into, you know, those marksmanship and how that transitions between, you know, archery and shooting a firearm. I imagine that, you know, if anyone were to spend the extra money to get a custom rifle made, that where accuracy is going to be improved, you know, I would always say you better make sure that you're up with your marksmanship skills because that rifle will only shoot as good as you can shoot it. Yeah. And I would suggest like, even if it takes you a little bit longer, like save up some money and put some good glass on it. Right. Like, you know, I hate to see somebody buy, you know, you know, a $3,500, $4,000 rifle and they put, a $300 scope on there, right? Like just save up a little bit more money because there's, it, it's just going to be that, that much better the entire experience around it, right? Uh, when you put together the total package. Now, if that's all you can afford, that's fine. But like, you know, I would suggest like there's some things that we could do to try to make changes to where like we'll take one of our actions and I know some very good stainless steel barrels that could be used and some fiberglass stocks that are that are lighter weight and next thing you know i've cut out like hundreds of dollars out of one of these builds right that you could end up putting back into an optic so just because if you see something on the website and and most of it's built around you know you see carbon fiber in the high-end technologies like we can still build whatever with stainless right and it could be built with you know fancy wood stock there's a lot to be done like i said that that's the beauty of going custom it could be tailored to your what you know to your flavor 
And then, so getting back on with your optics and whatnot about not, you know, taking that a cheaper route, you know, what would be the biggest benefits of, you know, making sure that you got high end, you know, glass, um, with it? Yeah. I mean, yes, there's the optical clarity, right. That you notice at low light, um, and fading light and whatnot. That's where you see the big differences. Also too, are the, um, the mechanics inside, right? When you go to crank on that turret, um, when you go to adjust, if you look at, you range something and it says, you know, adjust to 10 minutes, you know, and you crank that, you know, you, you spin that turret to where it says 10 and you go to make your shot that you know that it's going to have adjusted 10 minutes of angle, right? To that. And then when you twist it back down to zero, I, I always recommend something that's got a hard zero stop. And then when it comes back to zero, you go back to shoot it at 100 yards, you hit back where you were before, right? It's the tracking, the, um, the like I said, the mechanics inside them as you go up are, um, they're, they're more precise. That I think I would say things are, you know, the mechanics are more precise and the, the optical clarity increases and the light gathering ability of a lot of the um, higher optics, you know, it, that's where you start seeing, seeing the differences. Gotcha. And then, like you were saying that you're not just limited to, you know, kind of what you have listed on the website. And I did remember that you do something with, or you, you kind of can take like the Remington 700s and you can do custom builds with those as well. So it's not a complete build from scratch. So you just take that platform and you improve upon it. Absolutely. Let's say you got a, you've got, let's say that, you know, our tagline, you know, is a generational acquisition. Well, you know what, that 700 has been around for quite a while, right? And maybe you have a 700 that's been passed down from, you know, dad, grandpa, uncle, somebody like that. And it just doesn't fit, you know, fit you quite right. Well, yeah, we're going to we could take that 700 action, use that platform. And what we would do is like, and then this gets into like, you know, how much you want to put into it. Like we, we would true it up you know, change out the trigger, you know, put a new stock, put a new barrel, put a new Cerakote and you got a, you know, you got a whole new setup, right. And you're ready to roll and, you know, could potentially, you know, like could be some cost savings there versus, you know, going the full blown custom route because the custom actions to, uh, do cost more. And the reason being is, is because, you don't have to do anything to them. Like a lot of times, even though like a, a 700 action or some of these other ones, like they still have to be true to be square, right? They're going to come out with certain tolerances out of the factory that are okay. That a lot of them will shoot fine, right? You got that one MOA guarantee, but it's when you try to get to the super tight tolerances and, and getting everything trued up to where it's a hundred percent flush and square. That's where you get into, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now, like I still hunt with, um, two 700s, you know what I mean, that I have that are set up. And now if you were to look at them right now, you would say like, there's no way that looks like a 700 action because of <laughs> the things that we've done to them, right? Like put in a side bolt stop, change the, the bolt knobs, um, fluted, fluted the bolts. There, There's all sorts of things that we've done to them. And those are all, you know, each, each one of those things are things that we could do, you know, with the, you know, an added cost there to, you know, to make it, you know, make it look cool or whatever you want. You know, that was one thing that I actually, that kind of caught my attention the most was with your 700 program. 
you know, that was certainly something that even if I were able to, I'd probably go that route just because that this intrigues me the most of having that 700, um, you know, action and then just, you know, make it just that little bit better. Well, I was going to say is too on that piece, right? Where think about all those Remington 700s that were sold um, that you see that are just the, um, they have that plastic synthetic stock on there that have got the blind that doesn't have the bottom detachable bag. The ones you see in a lot of sporting goods stores, right? The ones you would see in a Dunham's, a Dick's, a Walmart bag, you know, something like that, that those are great. Those are great platforms to build from, right? Because you're probably going to get a new bottom metal. You're going to be getting all the new pieces anyways. So what we really need is just the, it's the action. That's what we really need. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah, so some, if someone was looking that they didn't need the the full custom package, but and they wanted to save a little bit of money, they could you know certainly improve on what something that, that they could get from that sporting goods store. Yeah, absolutely. And it, let's just say too, like, and I'm going to hit on some pieces here too of like improving like your existing build, right? So you don't have the money to go put in and, and drop something, but like some of the pieces that I would suggest that could be done, like yeah, yeah, we could do something like this for you too, but you could probably do it yourself, like adding an aftermarket trigger um, and putting a new stock on and add doing a bedding job. Those few things right there, like let's say you've, if you have a 700 right now, buy a trigger tech trigger and put a Graybow Outlander stock on there and do a bedding job on it. Or even if you can't really bet some, just screw it into that Outlander stock. You're probably going to improve your accuracy just by doing those two things, right? And you probably spent 500 bucks, but your, your, your accuracy is going to improve. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And then so that next step that I know that you talked about that really intrigued me was for a lot of your builds that you actually will match a particular, you know, round or ammunition that you've determined is the, you know, fires the best out of that rifle. And mm -hmm. that really intrigued me because I know that is, you know, certainly that next getting into the weeds, you know, really diving into almost extreme, you know, efforts to ensure accuracy. But I guess I'm really curious as kind of what your process is as once you've got that rifle built us that how you determine what's the best round for that rifle. Um, yeah, so I guess too with um, a couple of the ones we've done recently, it's around if somebody knows they want to shoot like a, a solid copper, right? Versus um, one of your traditional, you know, cup and core expanding bullets or whatnot. You know, getting into that piece. So I I, I typically start with a a v, you know a VLD or a lower drag type type bullets, more of a modern style, right? Let's say like a Hornady ELDX or a Burger bullet or something like that. Um, I've learned over time to just, you know, and there's, and you can see it with a lot of builds of like where those bullets like to be um, seated as it relates to um, when they engage the rifling, right, in the chambers. Okay. And something there too, it's kind of like your bow setup, right? So as you're tuning your bows, you're figuring out what broadhead flight, you know, you're, you're messing with your fletchings, you're doing stuff like that, right? Same thing with a rifle is, you know, with a hand-tuned load, you're not defined by the SAMI governing body that says that the overall case length has to be 3.34 inches in 
whatever, you know, 300 win mag or sub mag, whatever it is. So knowing that, then, then you can start sticking that bullet out of the case farther. And then it allows you to use different propellants to then gain velocity to other pieces like that as well, right? Because you're most of the time when you hand load, you're going to greatly exceed factory ammunition velocities. And it's not being dangerous. It's just that you, you've changed things, right, that, that are different from the governing body. Still completely safe. It's just you have to look at different pressure signs. I also look as I'm building loads, I have to observe those pressure signs as I'm going through the, the uh, loading process. And as I squeeze, you know, I'll, I'll shoot. And then as I will, every time I lift the bolt, I take notice of like, how much pressure is being applied, right, to work that bolt. If I'm getting a heavy, sticky bolt throw, it's typically a sign of pressure. As I extract the case, I then look at each case as I come out. I look at the primer, and I look at the, you know, the <clears throat> on the case head as well. I'll look to see if I'm getting any, uh, if I notice where there it's cratering or if it looks like you know think about the crater you know like on the moon like an impact of an asteroid or something like that right you know, it makes a, a visible crater you know if that crater's coming out and over i'll look at something like that or if it's getting enough pressure where i'm noting where the um the plunger is coming out from the extractor right or you're seeing that piece too like those are little pieces that you notice where like it'll create like a half moon or a moon shape if you're getting those you've hit pressure you need to back off so, okay. um, th those are pieces that I look at now. I mean, it's not cheap too, because like, as I start doing these things, it's typically premium components. Right. And it's not uncommon to get up to like loading a hundred rounds of ammo that could easily cost 350 bucks. Right. But some of these ones are shooting, you know, like I said, couple of these ones I've put out have been, you know, quarter minute to like 0.4, you know, of like ready to roll. Right. Um, there was one I shot that was like, it was a five shot group that was almost through the same hole. Right. So there's, you, you pay for like, once again, the, <laughs> those incremental increases. Yeah. Gotcha. In accuracy. Yeah. And again, that, like you said, it, it falls back, especially for anyone that's an archer, you know, taking those extra steps and making sure that you're doing, you know, you're tuning on your arrows to make sure that they're fine the best they can. It, it translates almost directly over, like you said, to, to those rifles where an optimal, you know, setting for that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say too, like what I also do too, is like when I take all that data, I plug it all into like, Excel spreadsheets and I graph this stuff, right? And I, and I start looking at stuff and I take each of those charge weights and the velocities and I try to find where you, you look at what's called nodes, right? And you try to find those accuracy nodes. And that's typically what I'm trying to do is where I can get a, a tight standard deviation and extreme spread in velocity and get the accuracy because that's where you want to live. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's in one of those sweet spots. Yeah, because I know... Um, I think it even got mentioned um, when I heard you talk the first time is that, you know, there will be certain types of ammunition that, you know, certain rifles will basically shoot better using than others. Um, and there's no, you know, guarantee that, you know, if you build the exact same rifle that it's going to like the exact same ammunition because um, just because of, you know, how those rifles that are built that they, yeah, there's a little, those inconsistencies that you can't control that 
will just prefer another one type of round to another. Yeah, and it can it can it can it can kill you. It can rack your brain. You're like, why is this not working? And then you make one other change, and next thing you know, you get you're like, oh, well, maybe this is what this thing likes, and that's what I need to go with. And it, it's hard because you want to get personal over the whole thing. It's like it's like when you go, you spend all that money on, you know, you know, I've got some friends that like. Oh, they got some of the new day six, you know, um, broadheads or something like that too. And they're like, the dang things just won't shoot and tune in my bow. Right. <laughs> you oh, know, and you're right. like, Oh my God, they spent all this money on these broadheads and they don't, it's not working for me. And yeah. then you go pull out a pack of G five Montex. And the <laughs> next thing you know, it's like, better not shoot those two close or I'm going to mess up an arrow. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, someone that maybe not has the capabilities or, um, or whatnot to be able to, you know, do hand loads or whatnot. You know, what could someone do if they're, you know, basically limited to buying ammunition from the shelf? You know, what would be your recommendation? What would you think that someone should think about when deciding what type of ammunition, you know, to pull off the shelf there? Two things: pick a pick a caliber that's widely, you know, if you're if you're looking at even if you're buying a a, a gun that's, um, I'll take example a three hundred eight a seven mag, a 300 win mag, something like that, right? There's so many available types of ammunition that you could probably find something that's going to shoot, right? It may, it may be a box of federals. It could be a box like Hornady precision hunter. I, I don't know what it is about that stuff. It has shot pretty darn well on about everything that I've ever, um, you know, that we've ever built. Um, some of the new Sierra, um, aim changer, uh, ammo has has done really well. Burger's ammo does well. Um, some of the federal match with Burger ammunition that uh, that's done well. I have not had the best luck in the world. Like if some you know like I will let's say like Remington Core Locks, right? Some might like it, but I tend to just shoot those things to break in barrels with um, because it doesn't cost a lot of money, and that and that's kind of what you know if I'm looking at something like that. Or I'm I might be if I am hand loading I'm I might be picking something just so I can generate some brass right for reloads. Um, but point like I said, Precision Hunter very good with the ELDX bullets. Um, but you know some of the stuff that's loaded with the Barnes ammo or the Federal uh, Trophy Ascent Terminal Ascent, those are all those are all good. Um, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff out there right now if you can find it. it right, yeah. Yeah. How has it been with you and your business of, you know, for your materials and whatnot? Have you been having a heck of a time too? <laughs> it, it really sucks. It, it really cuts down. I, I'll be honest, I'm not doing a whole lot of extra shooting and plinking like I would be. I've been kind of having to conserve, you know, once I get a load built, you know, I, I validate my drops and do all that. Um, I just don't, you know, I can't get some of the, the bullets that I really like. Um, I've, I've really struggled to be able to maintain and keep those things in and it's hard and primers trying to find primers. Like, I mean, I've got every waiting list out there to try to get primers in and, and it's hard um, to try to get those things in powder powder has been hard. So like that's been getting reloading components. Um, I've got, like some of the stuff, some of the ones that I load for that I've just had to set back and I'm like, okay, I've got like, say three or four pounds of this powder, three or four pounds of that. And then, I, and I'm just like, 
it's what I've been having to go with, and it, it's hard. It's really hard right now. So I'm not out there doing a lot of play shooting, I can tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think we basically covered a lot of the things I really wanted to touch base with you on. You know, I know we kind of already covered it, the, you know, why someone should, you know, kind of go with something that's customized. Um, I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure we're at the same consensus that you're paying for, you know, basically precision, you know, durability, I guess maybe like a fit and finish to something that fits the individual hunter. Yeah. You know, weight, right. You could hit something, you know, there's, there's a lot of pieces there, right. Um, you're not, you're not confined to what the manufacturers typically say, like from a barrel length and other, you know what I mean? Things like that. Like you're, you can, it's tuned to you, right. That's, that's the great thing about, uh, you know, the custom is this is your build and figure out the way that what's going to work for you and your intended purpose. And that's what we work towards. Sure. And then I know it's kind of with everything going on now, it's chaotic, but what would, when would the best time for someone to reach out if they wanted to get a build done, you know, if they wanted for, for certainly they probably wouldn't have anything for this season, but if, if they're looking at for something for next season, you know what, I think that's a great point. Um, and we did not touch on it. It are lead times right now. Right. Um, lead times have grown exponentially over the last since COVID hit right and if you think pre-covid we could if everything came in we could we could knock builds out like if everything came in right three to four months you know and i would say now it we are more like six to eight months out right now is about what it takes because of just getting components in. If you get a stock from Manners, I can tell you right now that it, it might take you six months to get that stock in, um, depending, you know, four to five months on average, but up to six actions right now. It's just been hard. You know, I'm, I, some, a lot of them have been five to six months on getting actions out. Um, so what we do is as soon as we get those things in the queue, you know, and, we've been having to move stuff around based off of the way pieces come in. Let's normally we have all the components sitting there and we're just waiting on a action to come in or a stock. And that's what we're doing. And once it, but once they fall in, it goes pretty quick. Uh, it's, but that's been the hard piece. So if somebody's thinking, um, really for a hunting season, you got to start backing out. Like now's the time to start talking about something for next year. So that way you have it in time to, you know, to be using it next summer to get loads, to get everything ready. Like now's the time. I, it's crazy to think about it, but you almost have to think not quite a full year out, but for sure you need to be thinking about at least six to eight months out. Gotcha. And we, and hopefully those things will improve, right? As things over time can get back to normal and lead times, you know, start, you know, going back down. Yep. I'd love to be able to get back into, um, you know, that four to six month time range would be ideal. Gotcha. And then, so with, uh, the hunting seasons coming up, what have you got planned for this upcoming season? Yeah. So let's see here. Kicking off the season actually is going to be taking my, um, taking my kids out. We're going to do the, the youth, um, opener for my, um, my oldest, try to get him a deer this year. And, That'll be, you know, September. I'll try to get out and do a little bit of bow hunting before I head out to Montana. So I'm going to go out to Montana in October. And I've got a, um, I'm doing elk 
and mule deer in uh, in Montana this year. So uh, one of my buddies, uh, he's going out there with me. So yeah, it should be good. So we're going to have plenty of tags in our pockets and hopefully coming back with a heavy load and a lot of meat. Oh, I know. That's that's uh, certainly the goal for this year because success I find hunting each year, the more I think my family burns through that venison and whatnot. So it's every year it's just like, man, maybe I got to go get another deer because they are eating the heck out of this meat here. So it's usually yeah. pre- it's usually pretty close by the by time hunting season comes around, that freezer's pretty bare. So time time to replenish the supply. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm actually kind of excited about the way they changed the doe tag thing this year too. With like, I, I normally have about like three different doe tags based off of like where I was hunting in the state. Now it's like, okay, great. <laughs> it's like you know take a take a doe and then if i you know want to go get another one go buy another tag I'm, yeah i'm I'm, I'm i'm good with that i'm i'm with you i know there's some people that really don't like that you know decision but um i think i think it's the right decision to you know we do need to get more doe harvests done here in the state and give them the freedom for people to be able to um you know be able to get those tags and not be limited to you know where they can go get them yeah, I mean, I, it's, you know, that's just my opinion, but it's nice to be able to hunt, you know, up north, you know, where I hunt and down here in mid park and just like, it's nice to be able to do that. And then I think it's more from, to me too, from a legality standpoint to make sure I've got the right tag, you know, it's like, okay, you got your doe tag versus to make sure like, is this the right one or, you know, ultimately you got to you do that anyways, but mm-hmm. it, it was confusing holding sometimes, you know, two or three different tags, depending on where you're going. Yeah. private land public public land you know are you in this dmu not in this dmu that that's where it gets real confusing yeah oh yeah i ran into that um a couple years back where i realized that where i was hunting on some state land that the the county line i was jumping between that county line and yeah i could potentially be in the wrong county for for filling the tag so yeah yep i'm with you i have to do the same thing because i'll hunt like you know, forest land and then some of the other, you know, like timber stuff. And it's just, yeah, making sure you get the right tags. All right. Well, I think, again, we covered everything I wanted to. And actually, I think we even got a little bit further than uh, or got a little bit deeper than uh, what I anticipated, which is excellent. So, um, yeah. But yeah, so I do appreciate your time this morning. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to cover? Oh, before I forget to, if someone wanted to reach out, what were the best ways to you know, get in touch with you if they want to inquire about um, any of your services. Yeah, so plenty of ways. There's a link directly off the website, off com. There's an inquiry piece to where, like it says, contact us. You can send through there. In there, you can type a note. It'll come, and I'll get an email that way. You can send me an email at flintridgerifles at gmail.com, or, you know, there's sales at flintridgerifles.com. Um, you can Give me a call or text me. My number's 517-304-4793. You know, maybe shoot me a text or something like that. I'm happy to answer questions. And, you know, I, I enjoy this. You know, this is what I'm passionate about. And this is, uh, you know, I like to help folks. All right. Well, thanks for that. And I'll, I'll add, you know, your contact information into the show notes and whatnot. Um, so if anyone didn't have a chance to write that down or anything like that, they could just look at the show notes and, you'll be able to get that contact information as well. And I guess, you know, thanks again for coming on and good luck to you. And, you know, with your hunting season coming up, you know, hopefully your your son's able to 
get his deer this uh this year as well yep well, i appreciate it yeah and good luck to you all right well thank you All right, once again, a big thank you to Jared for coming on to the show, talking about Flint Ridge Rifles and the services that he can offer. Anyone that's looking to get their next hunting rifle, you know, certainly give his site a look. That next step above uh, those those rifles that you could get on boarding goods shelf there. And then he also brought up, you know, really good points about why you would want to look into getting a rifle that's custom made. Or even if you don't have it in your budget to get a completely new rifle, you know, just some tips that you can use to upgrade your current rifle just to make those improvements in your rifle's accuracy. And he brought up a lot of points about thinking about, you know, making sure that you don't cut corners on your optics or getting that scope. You know, make sure you have a quality scope along with that quality rifle. And then make sure that you pick out a good ammunition that works well for your rifle. I know that you know, with my current rifle that, you know, I've ran into situations where it seemed like certain ammunition just didn't really shoot all that well through them. Uh, so you want to make sure you pay attention to getting good ammunition along with it. And with the hunting seasons coming around, you know, right, rifle season still, um, you know, about two and a half months away, uh, but certainly do not procrastinate in getting everything ready. You know, dust off that rifle, make sure you have plenty of ammunition coming into hunting season. Again, there are some shortages out there, so make sure that you're, you know, plenty of ammunition to get you through the hunting season. And don't don't forget to take the time to make sure you get out to the range and sight in your rifle. Make sure it is shooting true still. You know, the last thing you want to do is uh, go out on a hunting situation and take a shot and end up missing and start to question on if it was, you know, you taking a bad shot or if there was something wrong with your equipment uh, going into the hunt. So do make sure that you get out to the range, get some range time in, get some practice in with that rifle. For a good number of us, we really don't spend too much time on the range throughout the off season, but it's good to get out there and get some practice in. And really we're looking at, you know, only about a month away from the, you know, archery season opener, but then we've even got the early antlerless uh, season coming up. Again, that runs the 18th and 19th. Then we also have the Liberty Hunt, I actually don't remember the dates on those hunts, but they're both, you know, starting about mid-September. Uh, then you got small game opening up as well. So, you know, hunting season is upon us. Uh, and if you're not quite ready, you know, now is kind of the crunch time to get everything in line. Um, so you are ready for that hunting season. So take inventory of what you need to do yet this season or this off season to get yourself ready for that hunting season because it will be here in a blink of an eye. I want all of you to be ready. That way you can have a good, successful hunt this upcoming fall. 